Live, ladies and gentlemen. Start our day with some Huey Lewis and the news. Power of love. Get fired up. Thank you, Huey Lewis, and the news, Power of Love. I actually walked out to that song a couple times during my fight career. Get you fired up to whoop some ass. But we're here with uh, two of the best coaches in the world. I mean, two very important parts of the uh, Sugar Show team, uh, Dan Garner and uh, Brandon Harris, everyone knows. So uh, Dan just flew in from Ontario, right? Yep, yep. Ontario to come down and just meet the crew, because this is the first time we've been wor- working virtually for how many years now? Yeah, over three. We're getting close to three and a half, I think. We we started our uh, our work together in 2019. Yeah. Dang, 2019, dude. Yeah, we've done seven fights, so Jan's going to be the eighth. So it's kind of crazy how powerful that virtual world becomes. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've done seven successful fights i know sean's physiology inside and out and Mm -hmm. i just felt like i knew you and sean and brandon right away there was no ice to break when i got here everyone just yeah started talking immediately it was easy peasy so yeah yeah i'm just glad to be here with the team and 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 level up take things to the next level yeah for sure um i i forgot i mean i think i found you i heard brian callen say something about you i think that's how on fighter and the kid and then uh, I started looking into it, and it was at the point where I where I just broke my jaw. I had this injury, so I'm like, God, I want to look for something else to do and, and to learn from. So I, I found your um, Dan Garner Nutrition, and you do courses, um, courses, training trainers, right? Yeah. Teaching yeah. people to be trainers. I do, yeah. But, I mean, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I'm a coach first and foremost and an educator second. Mm-hmm. Like the, I think being a coach – um, I mean, when, when you're in the health industry, and this is something I'm sure Brandon's seen a bunch of, is that there's some coaches who have some success early and then end up being full-time educators instead of coaching. So they kind of rest on yesterday's laurels, yesterday's wins, and kind of ride that for the rest of their career. But when you stop coaching, you stop, um, your ear's not to the ground anymore. You start losing touch with reality. You start losing touch with what's working. You stop innovating because you're, you're learning theory rather than application. And I've just, I've always, I've always thought that you need to, you need to continue coaching if you actually want to be the best in the world. Cause there's a huge difference between coaching and educating. One is doing, the other is knowing. And mm-hmm. I always want to be the doer. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm just find this quote real quick that I found on Twitter this morning. I think I sent it to Jay. Uh, it says, "If you want to to master something, teach it." I mean, ever since I started teaching jujitsu and, and teaching more full time, I feel like everything leveled up so much. Yeah. But it's really cool with you guys. Like, you guys aren't doing this. It's cool being around people that 
they have their job and they're just passionate about their job. It's not even really a job because they do it anyway. So it's cool around being around you guys that are like that, super passionate passionate about movement and breathing and strength conditioning and nutrition and still strength conditioning with you kind of what got you you started into nutrition did you already always know you were into that or um I've, I've got a relentless curiosity with the human body it's like it's the most complex organism on the planet um and i think that people kind of forget that um like you can go um, to school for four years to learn how to become a car mechanic but then there's personal training certifications that you can earn in a weekend you're working, you know, versus a, a predictable output system like a car versus a completely unpredictable input output system like the human body in terms of physiology and psychology and all the ways in which those bridge and how our inputs create the outputs that we see in our symptoms and our performance and recovery. That's just that's a world that has never stopped fascinating me ever. I've had a I've had a relentless curiosity towards that, and when you have a curiosity towards physiology, you're going to run into nutrition real quick because <laughs> you start to you start to realize how much of an impact nutrition has on everything that you do. And then that kind of slowly brought me into labs too. And this is something that I was talking about uh, with Brandon uh, yesterday is because he asked me, how did I get into labs? The, the one way in which I got into labs was having the self-awareness to to recognize that everybody has a bias, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, if you've attended a recent certification, if you've read a book, if you've just went to a seminar and you thought it was awesome, you're like, you have this temporary like infatuation with that thing and you might want to apply it to um, athletes who it may not be applicable for. So you're kind of idea-based rather than results-based. So a way in which I was able to remove my bias and, and ensure I'm putting my people on the right system at the right time for their unique physiology, I needed labs because labs don't care what you believe. Labs don't care about your ideas. Labs don't care about your philosophy. Labs don't care about your morals. When you're, and when, you, when you're saying labs, you're talking about blood, urine, saliva, stool, um, what I'm here to collect for Sean this week, absolutely everything. And that's, that's uh, that type of analytical approach that I'll take. Like uh, with Sean, I know his vitamin and mineral analysis. I know his inflammation status. I know his antioxidant capacity. I know every single hormone in his body. I know his immune function. I know his microbiome. I, I know more about Sean's physiology than anybody from the inside out. And that's because I collect everything that we can and that keeps us result focused because every time we look at his labs, there's either improvement or there's not. <laughs> and that lets us know, um, first of all, it provides a no guesswork approach to what we should be doing. Because when you know somebody's physiology exactly, you know exactly what to prescribe and when you need to prescribe it in order to optimize it for the goal that they came to you with. And um, it, it creates a situation where we're results-based, but then it creates a ton of belief and buy-in from Sean, too, because I'm not a cheerleader coach. He can just look at the two labs. This, yeah. was, this was last month, this is this month, and this was the trajectory of your testosterone and your immune function for better recovery and resiliency. We're doing the right thing. Let's not fix something that's not broken. Rock and roll. Yeah, and I mean, we get that question a lot, too. It's like, what are you guys doing different? What are you guys doing different? It's like... Everything we're doing right now is working. Yep. So we're not really going to change it. God, I've, I've always said it, though. I'm like, I wish there was in other professions, I wish there was like a belting system, like a, a 
black belt trainer and a black belt nutritionist, multiple stripes on it to where people are like, okay, I'm not going to question this guy compared to some jabroni or some, some trainer who has a, a, a program that he makes for everyone. Yeah. He makes the same program for everyone. It's like, fuck. Well, dude, that's the, that's the absolutist mindset. That's like, that's that, that never works in biology because even in this room, like we have different microbiomes, different vitamin mineral analysis, uh, different cultures, different environments, different stress loads, different resilience. We have different everything. So to try and put everybody into the same bucket because it fits your marketable philosophy is an embarrassing trait as a coach. It really is. Um, and, and people will market themselves that way, which is crazy to somebody like me. So like people, you can be the paleo guy or be the carnivore guy or be the Mediterranean diet guy or be the fasting guy. And to me, you're marketing that you don't understand physiology <laughs> because everybody who comes your way, you're putting them on the same system when we're all completely different people. So it's like, that is... It's easy. A lot of people can jump on that train because people don't want to think about how complicated nutrition actually is. So you just, oh, no carbs. That's easy. I can remember that. Oh, we're going to eat like our ancestors. That's easy. I can remember that. So people fall into those buckets because they don't want to um, think about how complex some of these things are. But when someone actually markets themselves that they put everybody into the same bucket, that's insane to me. And it's, and it's, it is marketing. It's not world-class results because if I created a meal plan for everybody in this room, you guys would not be on the same stuff. I would be, I would be doing everybody here a disservice if I gave you all the exact same habits and rituals and, and meal plans to follow. Yeah. And, and it's like, especially on Instagram these days, these trendy diets, they're just so huge. And these guys are so, I mean, powerful and, and kind of good at their spiel they're doing, but the trendy diets, the carnivore MD actually hit me up uh, uh, last week to come on the pod. He's going to be here August 6th or 7th, but I was hoping to have you guys on together just to be able to talk about that. Cause I'm, I'm curious to what he would say, like, or if he ever gets his blood work done or people that he says, Hey, no, eat this, only this, do they get their blood work done and do they see how it's yeah i've got two things to say to that um so first of all like these buckets might get people 80 percent results and for the general population that's amazing if you, the general population is overweight they are insulin resistant they are inflamed they don't have any vitamin minerals what will get the general population 80 percent of results They'll look amazing. Like you can, you can have, um, say, like a six pack and feel great every day at eighty percent. But if you want to be the champion of the bantamweight division, we need to get individualized. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things, I don't, I don't actually think that they're bad because they can help a ton of people. But to say that that's what you should also prescribe, Sean O'Malley. That's what you should also prescribe these other world class athletes. That's where it's it's. It gets ultra silly. So that's kind of the first thing that I would say is a lot of those generalized recommendations, they can help generalized people, but they're not going to help the specialist who wants to set a world record or get a world title. And that's why people call me. And that's why I've got a totally different approach. So that's kind of number one. Number two is carnivore MD um, and, and anybody else you can learn a lot from these people. I, I'm not, I don't dislike them. I, I've always, I think the ownership is on us to keep the good and discard the bad. So I, I've called it in the past, I've called it the owl mentality. So when an owl 
eats a rat, for example, or a mouse or whatever it is, an owl will actually swallow the whole mouse. And then later, it will spit out the bones and the fur. So it eats the whole thing, keeps the good, discards the bad. I'll listen to the vegan, to the carnivore, to the paleo, to liver king. You, you can learn something from everybody, but it's on us to keep the good and discard the bad regarding our own unique context. So we should never disregard anybody because the moment you're disregarding people is probably the moment you've stopped learning and you think you've got it figured out. But yeah. I, I think that owl approach, take it all in, man, and then use it to sharpen your own blades in what you do best. I mean, that's so good in, in every area too. Because even a lot of MMA gyms, you, you hear the fighters, they're complaining about their coaches, they're complaining about this, they're blaming the coaches for this. But then it's like, hey, coaches aren't perfect. Coaches are going to fuck up too. They're going to say something that maybe doesn't resonate too well with you. Just just like you said, throw it out. Focus on the good things that that coach gives you. Maybe focus on the atmosphere he built for you or, or whatever it is. But I, mean, I love that. It, you call it the owl approach? Yeah, the owl. The owl mentality. Take it all in. Don't don't have a, um, a preconceived disposition that you're going to alienate people just because of one thing you disagree with. Mm -hmm. Like If it's one thing out of 10, man, you can still learn a lot from that person. I've read full books that I disagree with just to either A, learn something or confirm I actually disagree with it. Yeah. In either case, that's progression. Yeah, exactly. Just relax and listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being able to be radically open-minded being able to uh find someone who's smart who disagrees with you and actually listening to them yeah as a superpower totally and that's something that i think brandon's freaking awesome with like uh, me him and i we're gonna actually go meet individually after this because he's got an amazing ability at being totally open-minded yep. to where he's got that exact same kind of approach and that's like ultimately i think a huge benefit for sean mm -hmm. at the end of the day because I don't have my own system and Brandon doesn't have his own system. We're open-minded enough to combine forces to create Sean's system. Yeah. That's what it's about. Yeah. It's freaking super powerful, but I, I, I'm curious. Oh, go ahead, Brandon. Well, I was just going to say that I, that I think of that as like, that's beginner's mind, right? It's like this, you know, I'm a big Bruce Lee guy and I actually was uh, talked about it or posted about it today, but this idea of being formless it, you have to recognize your bias first and, and the tendency to be biased. And that's, that was the first thing I noticed about you was first off how intelligent you are, but how willing you were to be open. I could sense it. And I think as humans, like we all can, we can learn from that. Like if we were all better at being open, call it empty, formless to somebody's perspective, we could actually then decide okay, do we agree with that? Do we disagree? It's okay, it's okay to disagree, but we can learn something, which I think is such a such a powerful state, but it's so uncommon. Yeah, I mean, people, people have had stern parents and they've had stern religions and stern all this stuff that they're just so heavily conditioned to be like, not, not even take it in consideration, a lot of things. Just, it's a block, boom, that's wrong. That's boom, my dad said that was wrong when I was young, so that's, that's it, that's wrong. Yeah, I think that um, being formless, I really like that. That's cool, man. That's that's a that's a great way to put it. And I think that we have to be formless because new research in sports science nutrition comes out every month, every single month. 
new research on sports science training comes out every single month. Yeah. If we're formed, we will be losing dogmatic that new data that's coming in that could possibly enhance our current approach or even completely change our current approach for the better. Yeah. And we have to be results focused rather than idea or marketing focused if we truly care about our clients and what's best for them. So that formlessness takes place in the world of science. But that formlessness takes place in the world of our clients as well, because yes, new research comes out every month, but one year from now, Sean's going to be a different version of himself. You know, any client you work with, they're not the same person forever. So his physiology changes, which may form out of a rigid approach. Mm -hmm. And we, we have to kind of remain formless and adapt as he's adapting and adapt as the new research is adapting. And there's there's no other way to do it if you if you truly care about the people you're working with. Yeah, and man, so many fighters, high level fighters, fighters that are fighting in the top five, top ten, they're just like they just they take the nutrition and they're like, ah, oh, yeah, I'll just do this. I'll just eat my blueberries. I'll give what the UFC gave me, or and, and and just do this. So it's like a lot of those guys are way behind. Yeah, real real quick, you guys, I just because it makes me think about in the on the side, the performance side of the strength and conditioning side it's so hard i think to be to be unbiased on results and i guess where i'm going with this is like let's just say you're i don't know let's say you're a crossfitter and you're getting faster it, does that mean you did everything optimally like it doesn't right and i think that's where uh you said this correct me if i'm wrong that's where the physiology comes in is if you th- those things don't lie now maybe there isn't an exact correlation because I feel like the, the dynamic system, there's so many, but it's a, it's a better measurement than just they're getting faster because how do you know you couldn't have got more, more faster? You couldn't have got faster. Yep. If the hormones are optimized, like what about, you probably see this where somebody is, they're successful in business or sport, but their hormones are shit and you optimize their hormones and now they, they feel better and their results are even better. I think we get so stuck on, results but we're not looking at the full the full the full equation right if that makes sense like how do you know you're not yeah you're getting better but you're not really completely optimizing your your physiology or your results right a hundred percent and that's why people don't change so the hardest worker in the room does not always get the best result i know that's like popular to to Mm. think about like people think hard work the hardest worker in the room does not always get the best results it's only the person who's able to allocate that hard work into the most intelligent areas for performance development who is going to get the best results that's the difference between your training and someone else's Um, because when you work out you're not in the gym to become a better weightlifter you're in the gym to become a better fighter those are different things and that's the difference between getting tired or getting better um, right now, I could text Sean, hey, Sean, uh, 200 burpees. He'll get tired. Yeah. Will he be a better fighter? No. <laughs> There's a huge difference yeah. between getting tired and, and getting better. And that's the difference between hard work or allocating that hard work into the most intelligent areas for performance. And that's why people don't change because hard work in a direction will get you some results. So then that actually makes them think like, oh, you know, this is the right thing, but I'm just genetically not an explosive guy. Maybe I'm just genetically not a strong guy. And you kind of find ways to justify not getting great results 
instead of having the self-awareness to completely change your approach and understanding that that work and sometimes less is more you can do less work in the correct areas for better recovery and better performance as well yeah we're so culturally conditioned to think more is better get up you know the the guy that gets up at 4 a.m the grinder that's you know not necessarily right and if and that will catch up with that person at some point most likely if they're grinding all the time and just because they're getting results doesn't mean it's correlated with them getting up at 4 a.m or doing more burpees right yes i think sometimes too though with with fighters like uh, especially at the beginning when they're just kind of kind of learning like they have to almost just i like sean and i back in the day we didn't train very smart we trained twice a day just fucking murdering ourselves and probably didn't eat perfect but we got this certain level of grit in our mind from all that training from all that probably overtraining and beating up your body we got a lot of uh I mean, we got a lot from that going into the going into our fights and stuff. So, like, as a, at a young age, unless you have that grit, you got to end up getting that grit from somewhere and really just like fucking pushing. But I think, yeah, there is a there is a line. Dan, didn't you tell me? I think the, one of the first things you said to me was uh, physiology follows psychology. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's right. Like, there's value. But what if what if you could rewind, which you can't, and you could have a smarter coach? teach you at 20 22 yeah. that when it's time and in, like intention purpose go get it mm-hmm. fucking get it but it doesn't have to be all the time like you probably would progress faster oh dude but well 100 it's 2020 but like there's a difference between grinding when it's appropriate and grinding all the time yep. that that sets you up for i don't know not failure but but injuries maybe just yeah, torn biceps maybe. torn biceps yeah. torn everything just my body breaking down from just grinding grinding grind it out this is what you got to do to be a champion you got you got to do to be a champion just grind it grind it yeah definitely yeah and you got to consider too like um there's more layers to that onion because why does it feel like a grind like do you have a certain type of deficiency right now that's creating a a, a low testosterone state in your body Well, it's going to feel like a grind. You're going to feel under-recovered. And it's not necessarily for any other factor besides a certain deficiency that you have in your physiology right now. So it's not like when you go through those like tough grit times, yeah, you're at greater risk for injury. Yeah, with proper periodization nutritionally and training-wise, you would have been able to minimize that risk and probably get better results. But fatigue is biochemical as well. It's not just mental. Things like dehydration, things like um, uh, low hormone output, things like um, low iron. These are all things that uh, are biochemical sources of fatigue that so often, like, so how many people do you think that you would have to pool to, hey, when was the last time you got your blood, urine, saliva, and stool measured? Like, like, did you get it done in the past year? Would you have to pool, like, and more than a thousand people. Yeah, yeah, nine nine point nine percent probably. Like, to get them all done and get a complete, not just a snapshot of your physiology, but the whole movie of your physiology. I think that maybe like one in ten thousand. I don't know what the number would be that you'd have to like. Yeah, I got that done in the past year. Like it would it would be so high. But that should be 10 out of 10 in professional athletics. And it's not. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not. And even the way the labs don't even provide the value, it's the interpreter of the labs that provides yeah. the value too. Because you can get blood work done every year 
and think you're good. But a lot of that blood work is designed to detect disease, not make you the best cage fighter you can be. Those are totally different disciplines too. So I think that um, that, that kind of separates our camp from everybody else, mm-hmm. that our, our malleability towards what will be the program this time around, that open-mindedness to change strategies as um, the opponent changes or as Sean changes or as his physiology changes. But just the, the amount of tech that we bring into this too, with all of that lab-based approach, we know exactly where he's at and where he's going. And that just, that, that totally separates us from more than what people think. Like I just, uh, like when, if someone asked me, you work with a pro athlete, like they must already have their nutrition, like, like dialed in. Right. I'm like, no, hell, especially fighters. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not even close, man. Yeah. It's not even close. There's so many old school mentalities. Uh, brutal. Well, probably 95, probably even more 95% or more UFC fighters, but that, people that have been fighting for 10 years, five years, when it comes to fight camp, they probably know what they're going to eat. They, they, they've been doing it for a while. I'm going to eat my blueberries. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to eat this. I'm going to eat this. But with Sean's like each fight camp, it, it changes. There's, there's something in the gut that's causing inflammation, whether it's he was eating too much beef, too much eggs, but you think they're healthy. They've been healthy. Everyone online says they're healthy, but they're causing that specific person inflammation. Uh, that's why fighters that have been training for 10 years, they're probably on the same exact diet. And then wonder why they get the same result. Yeah. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like they're on the same diet and the same weight cut. It's like that. It's worked before. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it's optimized, man. Like that's why as Sean, we've done seven fights together. I think we said that at the beginning of the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. He's had seven different approaches during camps. That's not a mistake. I'm looking at his objective and subjective feedback and then the dials of his physiology, because some of them will get off because of how hard he trains, how stressed he is, how much he travels, his business stuff, the podcast, the training, the everything, which means like um, uh, there's going to be hormone, immune, inflammation, um, brain chemistry, neurotransmitters, microbiome. I'm looking at all of these dials and I'm tweaking them all back into the right spot before camp. So that sets him up for maximum performance and maximum recovery. And that shouldn't look the same. Like when you nail it once, it's like, man, that was a good fight camp. Let's do that forever. No, that was for your physiological context right now. It does not mean we're going to repeat that exact same process possibly ever again. Yeah, and it's crazy how much, and not only in the fighting, in in, in his athletics, but just in the brain itself. That's why, why he's super creative and he has energy all the time. I mean, the diet is just so much. And especially if you can start to get kind of in touch with yourself and kind of know when you eat something, be like, fuck, that just didn't sit good for me. Yeah. I just squirted out a bunch of shit or I'm like burpy or I, I need to fart. Like being in touch with yourself and intuitive a little bit, I think is a, a big thing too. A hundred percent. And that, yeah. that type of brain stuff that like, it, there's nothing free in physiology. What we form through automatic biological processes comes from something like uh, when you like just triggered um, me when you said um, uh, triggered me to remember something when you talked about the brain health coming from dietary practices it's like we know those pathways like if you want to make dopamine which is a neurotransmitter for motivation drive attention span reward focus it's involved in a lot of things you're going to have l-tyrosines and amino acid it's going to get converted to l-dopa and provided we have enough vitamin b6 then we can make dopamine. 
So that tyrosine, that is very rich in red meat and eggs and protein sources. But ultimately, we're getting that amino acid from a food source. We're getting vitamin B6 from a food source. Mm -hmm. And that's what allows us to make this brain chemical. Like, there's nothing free in physiology, and that's going to come from a dietary source. Um, the exact same thing can be said for serotonin and melatonin. Like, uh, just as a memory tool for people, serotonin puts you to sleep, melatonin keeps you asleep. Both of these things come from L-tryptophan. And again, vitamin B6. But these are things that come from the diet. So, And which isn't always people try to adjust, uh, address these symptoms with supplements always. Yeah. The best is organic food. Right? 100%. Yeah. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that. Supplements are supplements because they supplement your diet. They don't replace the diet. It's a completely, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not even a contest. It's like supplements will add like an extra 5%. Which for, if you want a world title, 5% is a lot. Yeah. But if you're the average person, it's basically nothing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, dude, that, um, that, that, that sourcing, I just, I just think it's important to point out. Because in, in the world of fighting and, and combat sports in general, people kind of look at nutrition for the vehicle of weight cut. But not for the vehicle of brain health, not for the vehicle of brain performance, not for the vehicle of injury resiliency, not for testosterone optimization, not for performance and recovery. Like there's so many more buckets that aren't being optimized or talked about enough. Um, people kind of only ever talk about weight cutting when it comes to nutrition. But if you understood the power of nutrition, you would be using it and paying attention to it so much more. Yeah, I mean the peace of mind it gives Sean, especially how kind of, I mean, anal we are about everything. Like, fuck, we want everything top notch. The peace of mind it gives us to not even have to think about what to eat, not to be like, oh, I read this in a book that this is good or something, just to have it laid out from you is just so fucking huge. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very prescription based. It's, this mm -hmm. is what you're gonna eat, this is how much of it you're gonna eat, and this is when you're gonna eat it because of this, 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 yeah, and this. fucking awesome. No nonsense. Then how far back would you have to go? Um, and I'm talking like, you know, hunter gather, like where you think we would be or like labs would be good or would, would it never have been good because like maybe food wasn't available. Like, like, do you think at some point in our, in human evolution, we were like, if you could run labs on a ancient human, their labs would be really good. I think they would be really good. Yeah, just because um, I think they would be lean. I think they'd be incredibly active. And I think what messes up our labs a lot these days is our stress. Like as from back in the day, that hunter-gatherer stuff, our stress response actually hasn't changed a whole lot. But what triggers the stress response has. Um, and, you know, back in the day, our stressors were real stressors. It was life or death situation or famine. Um, these were enormous problems that that demanded an enormous stress response and the way in which our biological hierarchy works. Your body will always protect acute survival at the expense of long-term longevity. So this stress response, it's very catabolic. It breaks the body down. Um, there's a reason why stress feels bad. It's, it's catabolic to near every single system in physiology, including brain chemistry. Um, but it's there for a good reason for that fight or flight response that has saved our ass a million times but because of biological wiring and that we we demand acute survival over long-term longevity um now we get those stress responses from bad traffic from you know ha shit. having a shitty job having stuck in a bad relationship going on a blind date 
um, being at the club and getting rejected from a girl, <laughs> that creates a saber-tooth tiger response <laughs> in us that uh, unless you have, um, and this is something Brandon's amazing with, like that type of stress tolerance, your ability to be stoic, your ability to um, have a breathing routine you can go to, um, your ability to kind of handle that. Uh, that's what I think would actually probably, as much as I love nutrition, I think that would probably be the biggest difference in labs is um, minimal exposure to stress compared to chronic exposure to stress. I never even thought of it this way until right now, but I think what you said, the body will prioritize the acute stressor, right? And yep. then think of respiration and it like the diaphragm and it's dual function from respiration to stability. So what I always think, what I always say is the body will always prioritize respiration because that's, that's the most acute survival, right? Like how long can you go before you die without taking a breath? You know, a couple minutes, maybe some, you know, an elite free diver, what, 10 minutes, I don't know. But so when you look at training, if somebody is trying to do something heavy or fast under fatigue, their diaphragm, they will always go to respiration first. So now your stability gets shit and they're going to ride joints. I think that's a big issue that we see that aligns right with what you're saying, that that the body has evolved to to prioritize that acute survival mechanism which I think always will be the breath, right? Yeah. So it's it's interesting from that perspective. I think too, that's actually, that's a perspective that I look at labs with. So um, the, we've done a, like a really stupid job at thinking we're smarter than biology. Like people try to biohack or try to, you know, trick their body through this whatever. Um, every time we think that we're smarter than biology, we're reminded that we're not um, and that it does things for a reason. So when, when I look at labs, I actually ask myself, why did the body think this was a good idea? Let's answer that question at the root causal level, because that's what's going to allow us to understand the physiology that was the iceberg underneath the water that led to that lab marker. Because when you have, um, uh, it, there's a medical term, it's called allostatic load. Um, and allostatic load represents the total stress load that you're exposed to. So psychological stress, emotional stress, environmental stress, physical stress via activity, and then physiological stress via what's going on underneath the surface. That would be considered an allostatic load. And allostasis is the body's ability to adapt to all of those stressors. So a lot of people are familiar with homeostasis. But that doesn't exist in the populations that we really work with. There's some form of stressor constantly coming in, whether psychological, emotional, physical, constantly coming in, right? So our athletes are almost always in a state of allostasis where the body is leveraging from the organs and organ systems and pathways. They're constantly leveraging to optimize the adaptation to the incoming stressors. So whatever you see on the labs is for a reason to make the best of the allostatic situation. Um, I hope I'm making sense with this. So when you look at a lab, you actually kind of have to ask yourself, why did the body think that that was a good idea? We have to look at the total stress load that's incoming and create the reasoning as to why the markers look the way that they look instead of taking a recipe book approach. Like, oh, cholesterol is high, take that supplement. Testosterone's low, take TRT. Uh, you know, it, it, this is low, take that. The, the body actually did that for a reason. And, and biology is way more complicated than a recipe book. 
So even with respiration, when that, why did the body think that was, oh, it's because it's acute survival. With the labs, why did people, why did the body think that was a good idea? That's something that um, will actually answer a ton of the questions that allow you to solve problems at the root causal level rather than just deal with symptoms on that surface level. What uh, what what kind of are you, are your thoughts on like TRT testosterone replacement? Like, is there a place for it? There's definitely a place for it once you've ruled out known factors. Like, I, I'm not a guy. So, like, if if something if you have a symptom, and TRT, so if you have low testosterone, your symptoms are going to be fatigue. It's going to be difficult to get an erection. Um, your body's ability to to maximize fat loss and muscle gain probably reduce. Your aggression and, and competitive drive, even in business, like these things, will all kind of reduce. You become Which sucks for an alpha male. Totally, yeah. You just you, you become a sh- the shadow version of yourself. You know who you used to be, and you know who you are now, and it sucks. Just a puss. So these symptoms, just you're just a puss. <laughs> so if you find yourself being a puss, yeah. this is this is a symptom that we actually have to listen to, um, and and then you got to ask like so. A symptom is nothing more than the body's only way to communicate with you that something's wrong. Um, high blood pressure is a language. Low energy is a language. Anxiety is a language. Um, not getting an erection, that's a language. These are, this is your body's only communication pathway to tell you that something's wrong. And the way to communicate back with it is not to have a recipe book approach. Like a low testosterone, take testosterone. Mm-hmm. No. You speak back to your body. It's like, okay, why was testosterone low to begin with? Okay, well, magnesium, zinc, and vitamin D, they're rate-limiting steps in the production of testosterone. We, we produce testosterone from dietary fats. It needs to go through uh, metabolic pathways and enzymatic reactions to create testosterone. So do you have low testosterone? Or do you just have low magnesium, low zinc, or low vitamin D? Those are things to answer. Um, Heavy metals and uh, plastics and chemicals, particularly BPA, these things can lower testosterone production. So do you have low testosterone or do you just need to excrete some things out of your body that shouldn't be there? Sleep is connected to low testosterone. Do you have low testosterone? Do you have shitty sleep? Stress is connected to low testosterone. Do you have low testosterone or do you have a shitty life that you need to figure out? Like There is... Such a long list of things that create low testosterone that are a high percentage chance of probability in the population. Like not having optimal vitamin and minerals, a lot of people have terrible diets. Not getting optimal uh, uh, stress management and uh, sleep quality, a lot of people don't check those boxes. Um, This week, I'm actually doing testing on Sean for his chemical toxic load and his metal toxic load. When was the last time anybody did that? Probably almost never. These things will negate testosterone production as well. So I think TRT has a place after you've gone through the checklist of why your body's not. Because let's say, just I know this is long-winded, but let's just say that you have mercury in your body. And that's what's creating low testosterone. But then we inject testosterone. Well, now our testosterone is good. We still have mercury in our body. Mm -hmm. So now our body tried to communicate with us that something's wrong. And then we plug, we told, basically told the body to shut up. Covered and now up. we're going to inject testosterone. But now who knows what damage is going on beneath the surface because we never actually addressed the problem at the root causal level. Or what disease is cooking. The diseases don't form overnight. No, like 100%, man. That's something um, I, I, I'll say, I say it in my videos quite a bit. So I like to look at physiology before it becomes pathology. 
because you can see signs of, of poor blood sugar 10 years before someone gets type 2 diabetes. Uh, an alcoholic can be an alcoholic actually for quite a long time before he gets liver cirrhosis. Like the, the, the body is incredibly resilient, but the predictive factors aren't. You can usually see problems manifesting themselves into future pathologies like 10 years in advance. So if, if you get the right eye to look at your labs, you can be preventative towards your future rather than reactive to when things happen. Mm -hmm. Has there been a spot to where like you've gotten everything fixed in a person, their sleep, everything's pretty dialed in and they're like, they're just testosterone's low. Is that like a genetic thing or does that, could that come from multiple concussions when you were younger or can it come from those kind of things or? Um, so that hasn't happened to me. Um, when I, I've been able to figure everybody out mm -hmm. and, uh, that's just, that's just the kind of the access I have to labs and, and what I do though. But if somebody was able to check all those boxes and it was still low, um, it would, could absolutely be related to age because age related testosterone reduction is a real thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, like if, if you're, uh, you know, over 60, over 70, that's absolutely going to happen, you know? Um, but if you've gone through the checklist and you're not um, an older person, then yeah, then I would absolutely recommend TRT. Could be genetics. It, yeah, I don't think so. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you still should be normal. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's genetic. There's a genetic difference between alpha beta. Like the the range of testosterone is pretty big. It's like 300 to 900, depending on the lab you're at. So you could uh, like I could be at 300 and you could be at 900. You could have triple my testosterone, but we're both considered normal. So I think that would be the genetic difference, but I wouldn't genetically be at like 100. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't genetically be at like 200. That, Something's wrong. Yeah, it's something that's a dysfunction rather than an adaptation. Oh. Yeah. So kind of switching directions a little bit. The common A common person does, athletes who, who train twice a day, they need to train twice a day pretty rigorously compared to a common person who wakes up they go to a nine to five, they're not super active or maybe a little bit. What's the big differences there? Is it, is it the two shakes between that are helping them recover? And I know it's different for everyone, but it, for a common person, should someone be eating five meals a day? Um, the, the common person doesn't have to eat five meals per day, but a high performance athlete should. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Th that's where we start crossing the line mm -hmm. where common per people can get all the results they'll ever need on common practices. But if you want to be elite, if you want to be a, a black belt in jiu-jitsu and go to ADCC and then do well, this is a different conversation than a couch potato looking to get in, looking to lower his cholesterol, Yeah. right? So I think uh, I am prone to a higher meal frequency for a lot of reasons that we could talk for hours about. But I'm big on a high meal frequency. And then I'm big too. If you train twice a day, if you've got grappling in the morning and then strength and conditioning with Brandon in the evening, you're going to have uh, your workout shakes for both. Mm -hmm. there, there's energy expenditure there. Um, one of the, I mean, two of the biggest sources for fatigue are simply depletion via fuel or hydration. And when you're doing two-a-days, especially in Arizona, you're going to need an awesome hydration plan mm -hmm. because of the, the weather here that, as a Canadian, I found out about very quickly. Yeah. It's hot here. Oh. I got off the plane in pants like an asshole. And I was like, <laughs> this is way too hot for me. I don't know why I'm in pants. I drank like a liter and a half or two liters and didn't pee. And I was like, yeah, Damn. Is, this is a problem. <laughs> I'm the shorts for the rest of the week. But um, yeah, so hydration or fuel. And when you're doing two-a-days... Um, especially after your AM workout. I'm a little bit more flexible with the PM workout, but you want to be maximally hydrated in that AM workout. 
And then you want to have maximal, uh, as quick as possible, glycogen replenishment in that in, after that AM workout. So glycogen is just a stored form of carbohydrate. This is a time where you actually want fast digesting carbs. So things that are sugary, um, whether by nature design or through supplementation design, you want something, a simple carb, because it's going to metabolize and, and be formed as glycogen much faster than, say, uh, a sweet potato or oatmeal or something like that. And so, yeah. So like, say for the carnivore MD, if, if he was to coach a, an athlete that's training twice won't. a day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So when you when you say the the glycogen can you get all that from fruit um oh so i thought they only ate meat meat and fruit meat does, and fruit he does meat and papaya and a couple other fruits uh, okay well i mean you could but it would be a hell of a lot of fruit yeah like i'm gonna i have sean regularly on more than 400 grams of carbs a day mm -hmm. a banana has 25 grams wow and he's getting his carbs from typically rice because it sits super easy in his gut so my job is to there's basically there's four golden rules to follow for pre intra and post workout nutrition. You have to maintain a readily available supply of amino acids. You have to maintain a readily available supply of glucose. You have to be optimally hydrated, and then you have to accomplish goals one through three while minimizing GI distress. Because if he's gonna spar or grapple, I don't want anything sitting in his gut. He needs to feel fluid. He needs to be athletic. If he takes a body kick, it can't hit a giant sweet potato. <laughs> like, oh, Jesus, yeah. So um, it's it, you got to maintain amino acids, glucose, and hydration while minimizing GI distress. So we'll actually use rice more often than not, because it's and white rice, uh, for that matter, because it's very in and out. We're not using it for nutrient density. People forget that. Like, um, You can get all the vitamins and minerals you need not from rice. <laughs> you, white rice is a phenomenal fueling and recovery tool because it doesn't sit in your gut at all. And then people will be like, oh, well, doesn't quinoa you know, have, have like more magnesium in it? Should, should it be wild rice because it's got more fiber? If that's the purpose that you're using that nutrient for, sure. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to increase your fiber or if you wanted to increase your 100%, I agree with you. But for the purpose of performance and recovery, and then you are still checking the fiber and nutrient density boxes elsewhere in the diet, then it's wiser, in my opinion, to use something that doesn't sit in the gut at all so that he, I can give him 400 grams of carbs and he feels light and an athlete every single day. Mm -hmm. So that 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 type of approach for two-a-days, and it kind of leads right in, um, like a, your AM workout should be surrounded by those super easy, fast-digesting carbohydrates. Because if you are only 80% recovered before your PM workout, how well are you going to perform? you're going to perform to 80% of your ability. I can tell you, I can answer it for you. Mm -hmm. You will only ever perform to the degree that you are recovered. So your job during and after the AM session is to maximize hydration and maximize refueling. The speed at which you do that will determine the speed at which you recover, will determine the performance at which you'll output by the time you get to Brandon in the afternoon. Yeah, so obviously between workouts, try to schedule it as many hours as you can away from each other yeah like uh four to six is kind of the minimum mm -hmm. um if you can six to eight but um there is an element of listening to the body too yeah. so um i guess i'll i'll lengthen the range four to eight would be but less than four is tough it's like you're gonna go in the workout and just it's gonna be a shit work yeah unless it's a light unless you did like a high low mm -hmm. so like you did hard grappling but then brandon will run you through a recovery session and then usually you're having someone eat typically an hour and a half or two hours before the workout 
Um, on paper, one to three hours. So there's a, I've got a phasic process that it's four phases for pre, intra, post. But um, phase one is pre. And uh, on paper, uh, one to three hours is identical in terms of glucose and amino acid availability. And that's what we're trying to optimize during that, that first meal. Um, so since physiologically, one to three hours is nearly identical, what I'd like to do is subjective feedback there. So I'll say, okay, you know, um, how long do you like to eat before training? Lots of times an athlete already knows. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel pretty good if I eat at eight and then I'll go work out with Brandon at 10. Mm-hmm. So, and then I just know, okay, two hours. Yeah. Like that's a, but then you'll get some athletes, they can eat an hour before and, and be way too bloated and they, and they, they don't. So then they like to push it back or someone who eats three hours before their workout, they're hungry by the time the session starts. So it's kind of like, um, you have to, the science is already there for that window. So then I qualify the science through subjective feedback of the athlete. And that's how we pick that spot. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And then for you personally, how much uh, caffeine do you like to do a day? Me personally, yeah, <laughs> quite a bit. I've got a high tolerance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do right now. I'm bad. I'll do like three to four hundred milligrams a day right Just now. Just get charged. Yeah. Well, dude, I haven't shut up once on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've had my morning coffee. I already had uh, my morning caffeine blast yeah. at my hotel, and then I got to Sugars this morning, and then he made me. Is this big coffee? Yeah, yeah. The press. Yeah, he said he had it back in the apartment. Yeah, back in the day, the old school one. So it was delicious. So I couldn't stop having it, and now I feel like I'm on speed for Just this. Fucking podcast. geeked up. Yeah, yeah. So do you? Uh, do you ever experience or mess around with a marijuana? Yeah, yeah. What? How do you like to use it? Um, I uh, first off, I have like kind of a natural cycling process. Like uh, I, I for, I'll do like every single day for like three months and then for no reason at all i'll just stop for like three months there's just this weird cyclic process that i go through um the way i like to use it is i know um that i'm more sluggish and less productive if i do it throughout the day Mm -hmm. i just won't there's too much i've got too many athletes and business projects and um i gotta thinking i gotta be sharp Yeah. yeah you know i'm paid to think I'm paid to problem solve. I'm paid to problem understand. Um, and, and I can't do that um, when I'm stoned. If it's indica or sediva, it doesn't really matter. Um, it's the same for me. I'm not uh, I'm not my highest performing self. So I'll have a to-do list. Like my whole life, I'm a freaking robot. My Google Calendar has my whole life in it. Really? Oh, dude. Yeah. I'm just a, I just am a robot that goes through that calendar and I just <laughs> execute what it tells me to do. But uh, I, once that list is done... Um, then if, if I want to get stoned, I will, but the list has got to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually I'll, uh, but I also, it messes up my sleep quality if I have it too close to bedtime. Um, so I, I find if I have, um, an edible or a vape, like around six, 7 PM, or even a little earlier, um, like five or so, then it'll never mess up my sleep quality. So I use it in the evening to turn my obsessive brain off because um, it never stops thinking about this stuff. And, and I mean obsessive. Like if somebody's motivated about something, they're excited. Uh, if you're obsessed about something, it keeps you awake. Like I'll stay awake thinking about labs, thinking about an enzyme, thinking about how can we level up. That just, it, it almost haunts me in a way. So I'd never, ever stop thinking about that. So the weed actually helps me calm down quite a bit. So 
that sweet spot of like right before dinner, I'll get that calming effect without it screwing up my sleep quality. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty similar. I'm pretty similar too. I try to get my day done. Som- sometimes during the day I'll have a little, uh, uh, stores and Bickle, a vape, a yep. ba- bag of vape. But yeah, I-, I find that too. As soon as I do it in the night after I've earned it, it does bring me in the moment. It makes me enjoy Mariah. It makes me enjoy dinner and just enjoy my house, enjoy mm. my puppies and be able to shut my mind off from everything I got going on. Yeah. Kind of use it the same way. Sometimes, sometimes you just want to blast off right before bed though. So, <laughs> so sometimes that demon will grab me. It's like at 9 PM and I'm like, Dude. fuck it. Like, well, same for me. I have all, all these, did <laughs> these different kinds of so the CBD drops. I got the, uh, the gummies and they're all staring at a, you. a really nice bong, a nice vape. And then the Dr. Dabber. And I'm like, <sighs> Oh, dude, that was me with O'Malley. It was like, uh, there's King Palms, there's edibles, there's the volcano. I was like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get snacky ever? Do you ever hit the snacks? It actually kills my appetite. Really? Yeah. So I don't, that I have, even when I was a teenager, like this has never been my problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I think kind of too, um, weed can kind of get me a little anxiety-ish, you know, like you gotta, I, I gotta really find that sweet spot because yeah. if I overdo it, then it'll give me anxiety. My like sweet spot is like right in the middle. Um, I don't like doing it too little of amount because it just feels like a waste. Mm-hmm. But then I don't like too much because then I'll get anxiety. Um, that real sweet spot in the middle, though. It's tricky with edibles sometimes. Sometimes it's tricky. Because <laughs> you mean, don't have an option after you swallow yeah, it. It's oh, fuck. <laughs> it's like you're just on a roller coaster. Just take me. Yeah. The one was really solid, though. The 10 to 1 ratio. I think it's a yeah. sponsor. Yeah, the the Via Hemp, they they are quality. I mean, you're not Dude. gonna you're not gonna be getting some random gummy that has a fuckload of stuff in it. It's they're super low dose. They have it dialed in, and I don't know if you tried the like the Delta Eight one, but they have THC ones. They have they have a bunch of different ones too, and they're all just like I just had one, nice. and it was a it was a ten to one ratio. It was fifty milligrams CBD, five THC, and it it was like just what I said. I don't like too low. I don't like too much. It was so perfect, right? The, and I've had five milligrams before, and that's been too low for me. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, that ratio, what they put together, I was in the perfect zone. I was like, this is this stuff is solid. Yeah, it's awesome. So what would you recommend for, for, say, a kid coming out of high school, and he wants to be a trainer of some sort or be involved in nutrition, and he's just into it. Would you, would you recommend going to a university and going through that whole thing? Or would you recommend, what would you recommend? Um, if man, you, if you could go back to when you were 18, uh, dude. what, what path would you take? I mean, I probably would have gone to university. Would you? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't walk the common path. Um, I didn't know what I really wanted to do in my life until later. Like I, uh, um, I got terrible grades in high school. I, like I had fifties and sixties and everything. I was smoking weed every day at the wrong times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I also didn't have a lot of support. Like people, like I didn't, I didn't actually feel like anyone really cared about my opinion until, um, uh, like I, I just, I didn't know what to do, um, for a long fucking time. Man. Until you were how old? <sighs> um, not that old. That's the thing. I'm still kind of, I'm still lucky that way. It was like 21. So, um, but there's a lot of pressure on those 18 year olds. Like you need to have it figured out what you're going for. And, yeah, and I you feel like a loser. Yeah, like, you do. Like yeah. I, I just, I, I, I had no idea what I was doing or what, what I was. And so I ended up actually in a machine shop. Um, so I didn't go to, um, college or anything right, right after high school. And, and then I, I joined a machine shop cause that was just the easiest job that I could get really. 
Um, and then I stayed there for about three and a half years. Um, but I don't know. I, I think it was a confidence thing because I didn't think anybody cared about my opinion. I didn't think I had. And because of that, I didn't think I had much to say. Um, but I loved I started weightlifting when I was 14. So this year, I'm 33 right now. I'm going to be 34 in October. So this year, I've strength trained for 20 years. And I've never taken a week off that wasn't a deload. So 20 years of training. Um, but I started when I was 14. And even back then, I was reading. Back then, we had weird things called magazines and forums. <laughs> so I, I was on forums and, and reading magazines, getting any information I could. And that allowed me to know more than some people. Um a lot more, actually, because by the time I when I was in the machine shop and I still didn't really see it, um, I, I was actually doing training and nutrition for the guys in the machine shop. So I was coaching them in the machine shop. And then and then I was like, Fuck, like, they're actually asking me questions every day. And that was actually kind of building up. Maybe I do have something to say. And then it was the biggest blessing in disguise because it was horrible at the time. But they laid off half the machine shop and I got laid off. So then when I got laid off. It was a bad thing, obviously, because it already didn't pay well, and then you get laid off. But then um, I was like, okay, this is this is my second chance. All in. No other option. So at that point, I went to college. And then I went to college for health science. And then I was so crazy. I got six certifications on top of the full-time curriculum. Um, I was doing everything I could. And I was actually tutoring the year above me. They were asking me questions. Uh -huh. So uh, then I became that guy. I was like, you got to ask him. And that really built my confidence up. But that was the weird, windy, emotional road, man. This, yeah. That's a long story. Um, so I would recommend a young buck to go to university and not do what I did. Um, or else you got you got a lot of catch up to do, which requires a lot of obsession. Yeah. I mean, so you definitely would recommend them... Not to do courses like yours or other trainer courses, you would recommend them go to university, get your generals done, go do your drama class, go do your, that kind of stuff. You yeah, recommend that. Though. I do. It just yeah. allows you to speak the language, man. Yeah. Um, because a lot of these certifications do a terrible job at teaching physiology, and that's one thing. Because I'm not a fan of like those college uh, getting degrees and stuff like that. I think that people. Don't eat like so. I've, I where I have professional athletes right now in 13 different professional sports. I work with tons of world champions and Olympic medalists. Nobody asked me what my credentials are. Nobody, yeah, it's what results can you get? Yeah, I'm like, well, I've worked this many world champions. Like, oh, okay, you're hired, yep. and, that, and that's it. Absolutely nobody says, um, the master's, the PhD, or what, what is this? That zero people ask that. So, I'm not saying that degrees help you on paper because nobody looks at the paper. Um, what they do help you is learn physiology. And when you learn physiology, that kind of goes back to my lab stuff. Like you start learning what's happening underneath the iceberg that's leading to that top level. Um, and that's important because there's a difference between knowing and understanding. If you know a protocol, you can apply it at this top level. But if that person doesn't get results, you didn't understand the protocol. Someone who understands the protocol is then able to course correct instantly because they understand the physiology behind the protocol but if you only know and that's the problem with certifications they'll teach you a protocol but if it if you don't understand physiology and that protocol doesn't work 
you're you are stressed out because you now you don't know what to do with that person. They've run into a plateau. You want to refer out. You don't have confidence. Confidence comes from a working understanding of physiology, and that's the only thing college and universities do right. Oh, that's pretty good. That's good. So when did you start like CoachGarner.com? Um, I got into the online world. I got a Facebook memory um, of my very first um, contact me is in 2012. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I've been in the online world for 10 years. Um, I had a buddy who uh, he, he exited. He had a seven-figure exit of a, a sports gambling business. And he was like, dude, it's, it's 2012. So he's like, bro, I'm telling you, like online fitness stuff, that's where it's going to be. So just start now. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad I did. Because uh, I just started posting content, posting content, and uh, and then building up my name through that, through that, through that online lens, and that's why I've got I'm Canadian, but I'm working with you guys. Yep, it's just uh, that online slow burn reputation. Yeah, so just constantly getting results. Yeah, and just posting, creating content, uh, keeping people updated with the uh, cutting edge research and stuff like that, but. That all started in 2012 and, and hasn't stopped. So probably pretty soon you're going to have to cut it off to be like, I can't fit any more people, do you think? Yeah, yeah. I I, I turn people away. All the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do that all the time. Because um, I would way rather work with less people and give them more of my attention rather than work with a ton of people and not give them much attention. Yeah. That's how I, that's sometimes how I feel about the gym. I'm like, when it keeps growing, I'm like, fuck, I almost want to just cut it off. But then again, some of my students are getting good enough to where they're going to be able to uh, run classes and and give back and teach too. So Taya's a monster, dude. She's very good. Dude, She's very talented. Yeah. I, uh, I was lucky to work with her. Like, cause I, I've sent her some stuff, uh, in the past we're working together and she, uh, I just, uh, for the first time, cause I'm here, I got to watch grappling uh-huh. a couple days ago, um, in, at nighttime and that girl, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. She's very tough. A lot of the guys, every time I say, Hey, you gotta go Taya, they go, oh. She's only rolling with guys. Like, yeah, I, was like with guys. I was like, wow, this, she is for real, man. Yeah. 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 She's a scrappy chick. She, she's very talented on the feet too. So if she ever wants to move to fighting, she's going to be, she's going to be a handful for sure. So I'll, I'll cover her nutrition. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. So what else is on the agenda for the day, boys? You got sugar stool this morning or no? Uh, no, that was Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, he pooed in a, what looks like a fry box. Uh huh. And you just have it collected in a box. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's already shipped. Shipped it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, it's kind of it's a funny process. People I, ask about it all the time. Yeah, I'll, I bet that's a crazy process. We're, 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 we're for the people who study it too. They get the poop, they take it out, they put it under a microscope and dis- yeah. dissect let it. Let it culture. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, dude. You got to let it culture. So it takes like two to three weeks to get back. But if I could understand everything about your microbiome through your blood i would but i can't yeah it's stool it's uncomfortable for people but once you get the results you're like oh like that was way more than worth it yeah you know <laughs> yeah. is that where you get a lot of the food allergies from is the stool testing the stool or is it a combination that's from blood okay so yeah you're measuring when it comes to the allergy stuff you can imagine like um we took we extracted your blood and then exposed food to it and then watched what your immune system got mad at what it didn't get mad at is good to go. What it created a pro-inflammatory response to, then that's uh, that's something that will need to be ruled out uh, until we figure out what's going on. So that's a, that's a blood-based process. When it comes to the stool, that's when I'm getting an insight on um, uh, bacteria, fungal, uh, fungal growth, parasites, worms, 
um, uh, digestive uh, and assimilation capacities. If you have uh, a lot of fat in the stool, I know you're not properly digesting and assimilating your fats. If you're lacking uh, pancreatic elastase, I know we're not going to be properly uh, breaking down our, our meats. If you have um, anti-gliadin in the stool, then you have a non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Um, you don't have to be celiac to react negatively to gluten. That's like that's what a lot of people think. It's like everybody's avoiding gluten, but only one percent of the population is celiac. You don't have to be celiac in order to have a reaction to gluten, and we can pick that stuff up in the stool. So it's uh, it, it provides a value that can't be replaced with saliva, blood, or urine. Mm -hmm. So we get that we get that poop in the box. You have a vial. You unscrew the lid, and then on the lid is like a spork. And then you scoop, scoop out, scoop out from the log, get it into the vial. We get that thing. Uh, it was an ice pack there. Ship it off, and then we have a, an irreplaceable data set that we're gonna get from it. That's cool. Do Do you still do your own blood work and stuff? Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Once a year. Yeah, typically once a year. I did it in 2015 a bunch because it was like the first time I got really into all of this stuff. And I was like, wow, I've got issues. I got to really clean them up. Uh -huh. But um, I'll, so I was doing it two, even three times a year in the beginning. Um, I was also testing things. So like um, I, what I would do is get two of the same stool kit and then actually put stool, the same stool in both of them and then put different names on them. Oh. Yeah, so then we could actually see if the lab quality was any good. Yeah. Because if their processing is shit, well, poor data in equals poor data out. If I'm getting wrong data, then I'm going to create a wrong training program. Yeah. So I was actually self-testing labs to make sure that they weren't fucking around either. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, Fuck, yeah. I'm sure, dude. Dude, yeah. It's a human. There's human error and there's processing error. and this Lazy stuff. people. Or... Lazy. Every, there, there's many people that just do their job and not care about it. <laughs> so you have to kind of test things yourself. So I was doing that back in the day. It wasn't just the science behind the lab. I wanted the accuracy behind the lab to match that as well. So and is, is that how you kind of narrowed it down to the... Because where do you send the labs? Um what do you mean like which company yeah yeah so it it depends on someone's specific issue set because there's it depends on you know it, whatever goal they came to me with i might pick a different lab for a stool i like the diagnostics for the stool for sean i like the diagnostic solutions gi map mm -hmm. yeah but there, there's another one genova diagnostics gi effects that's also a good one so if people can get their hands on either of those they're very insightful. Nice. Yeah. So are, uh, what are you and uh, Dr. Andy Galpin doing right now? Uh, that type of thing, exactly. Sweet. So, yeah, we'll do um, blood, urine, saliva, stool testing. Mm -hmm. And then we're, we're building plans out exactly from people's labs. So, Sweet. yeah, it's, uh, it's basically it's, it's based upon the theory of constraint. So you will only ever perform to the degree that you are constrained. So what an athlete will do is they reach this performance plateau because you're only going to perform to the degree that you are constrained. So then what they'll do is like maybe add a sleep ritual and then add a breathing routine and then add a new supplement. Although these are good things, they weren't the constraint. So you will only perform to the degree that you are constrained. So what I like to do is take in all of the labs, every single biomarker we can, and then we look at it like a CEO. So like much like a CEO would, because uh, a system, I mean, a business will only scale 
to the degree that it is constrained. So a CEO would look down at the business structure and see, is there a bottleneck in marketing? Is there a bottleneck in uh, production? Is there a bottleneck in, in community culture in the, in the business? He's going to look down and identify the constraints that are holding back the business from scaling. I do that with your physiology. So I look at every single biomarker available to sports science and identify the constraints. And wherever those constraints are, it's a no stone un, no stones left unturned approach to where we're not guessing. So these constraints reveal themselves and then we remove them via targeted dietary and supplemental interve- intervention so that you can achieve your next plateau buster. You have surpassed that constraint because we have identified it exactly in your physiology. And that's what I'm here doing with Sean. I, I have Sean this week. Uh, I have him running through seven different labs. So we're, we're measuring absolutely everything for him. We're doing uh, seven labs, and I'm in-person monitoring all his training sessions too so that there's no, there's absolutely nothing, there's no, I guess, gaps left in, in his overall approach. So that's uh that's exactly what we're doing, and that's what Andy and I do too. Yeah, I mean he's gonna be fucking dialed in. Yeah. So when you're at home, just for you specifically, do you try to? Is all your food organic, or do you do the best you can with it? Um, it's not all organic. Um, it's I, I'll do the best I can with it. Um, and it's not because of like any any price reason. You don't have to like. There's a lot of things where you don't actually have to get organic. You can actually go to um this um. I think it's the EWG, the Environmental Working Group. Um, they come up with the Dirty Dozen every single year. And the Dirty Dozen are like the the 12 fruits and vegetables with the most pesticides and chemicals on them. So if It changes. You, and it does. It does change yeah. based on processing and, and what's, uh, whatever's happening in the, in the market at the time. Um, and so those are the ones that you should get organic. But then there's also the clean dozen that you don't really need to. So yeah. the and from a nutritional perspective, they're very the same. From a chemical load perspective, they're clean. Um, so if you're on a budget, then I would really just go with the with only getting organic for the dirty dozen. And yeah. that and that's EWG. I think I think it's ewg.org. Okay, I could be wrong about that. If you if you type in dirty dozen, it'll pop up. Well, it. hang on, something else might pop up. <laughs> <laughs> a little gang bang. Uh, yeah, if I if I know Tim's search history, oh god, I don't know what the algorithm's gonna give you. <laughs> yeah, I'll be going to prison. <laughs> Damn that that I mean that's a I didn't know that about the EWG here. Yeah, dude, so it's a it's a reliable source to check out. Sweet, hundred percent have to check that out. Mm. Well, we're at an hour, boys. A little over an hour. I mean, we could talk for three hours if we wanted to. That was a fucking good pod. Uh, thanks for coming in, Brandon. Thank you, Dan, for Thank everything you. you guys do. Guys, I'm pumped. I mean, Sugar's got a big fucking task in front of him, but just like we all know that he shows up to big moments, and if anyone's going to do it, he's going to do it. You know, he's not going to let the moment be too big for him. He's going to go out there and he's going to perform his best. And I, I think he's got the athletic ability, the eyes, and the speed to take out peter which will be fucking crazy then we're off to the races after that yeah man if we beat peter then it's just like oh fuck now everything's got to step up even more so that's gonna be crazy because in my mind peter's the champion in a lot of people's too he lost to aljamain split decision first fight crushed him yeah 
So he's the best guy on the planet right now at 135, and we get a test against it. So yeah, I see this as a title fight. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So fucking lucky to have you guys. So, all right, guys, uh, if you want to support the pod, please like and subscribe. It helps more than you guys think. As soon as I get to 100,000 subscribers, then I can get verified, and then everything can get popping more. Uh, like and subscribe if you want. And then there's a ton more content on patreon.com slash redhawkacademy. Uh, doing a solo pod there every week and then a ton of random contents going up there that's not going up anywhere else and you get 35 percent off thorn supplements 20 percent off all the merch access to all the content content and uh, i usually reply to everyone on messages there so all right thanks again guys see you guys next week love you Bye.